Always remember to walk on over to Walters, the biggest stars in the game on the biggest TV in Navy Yard. Make your reservation now to watch Juan Soto in the Home Run Derby on Monday night and watch Juan, Trey Turner, and Max Scherzer in the All-Star Game on Tuesday night. WaltersDC.com slash reservations. While you're there, book your table for the Padres series as well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fetty, the kick and the pitch, swung on and belted in deep center. Robles back in the warning track at the wall, and it is gone. Into the Giants' bullpen to the left of dead center. A three-run homer for Kurt Caselli will be his fourth home run of the year. Second home run of the series for Caselli. And for Fetty, it's the second start in which he's allowed a three-run homer early in the game. And it's the Giants three and the Nationals nothing. McGee coming set. Castro off second. And the 1-1 swung on line drive. Caught by Solano toward the middle of the diamond. Perfectly positioned. A rocket hit right at him. And the game is over. The Giants win it and complete a three-game sweep of the Nationals. Whose road trip comes to an end. They lose the final four games. They go two and five on the seven-game trip. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, July 12, 2021. The All-Star break has begun. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast, joined by the producer of the Nats Chat podcast, Tim Shovers. Mark Zuckerman is off. He and his family attended Sunday's 5-4 Phillies win at the Red Sox. Yes, the Zuckermans were at Fenway Park. Mark wore his Nats Chat podcast t-shirt to the game. Now, there's a rumor online that Mark got into a fight with a bunch of Red Sox fans. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but if it is true, Boston, you have been warned because when you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. So, Shovers, are you prepared to defend the honor of the Nats Chat podcast if need be? One if by land, two if by sea up in New England, Al. Whatever you need me to do to have Mark's back while he's up in New England. Uh, it was great to see him up there on a beautiful day. And are you familiar with the term busman's holiday? You ever heard that old-timey expression? Yeah, what does that mean again? I have heard that. It's basically like a bus driver who then goes on a long road trip with his family for vacation. And Mark sort of had that today, a day off, and spent it at the ballpark, which just goes to show you how much baseball is in all of our bloods. Yeah, he can't get away from it. Who are we kidding? None of us can get away from it. We also want to salute as we talk about people attending games on Sunday, the loyal listener, the loyal soldier for the Nats Chat Podcast Army that is at Fort Circle on Twitter. This person printed out a Nats Chat Podcast sign and had that at Oracle Park on Sunday and tweeted out a photo 
You can find that again at Fort Circle. You can always follow the Nats Chat podcast at Nats underscore Chad. But that's some job by our friend at Fort Circle printing out a Nats Chat podcast sign. Al, that game was played, and we all know this, in San Francisco, California. This is a podcast that we started in Maryland and Virginia, and someone went to the other side of the country, sat behind home plate, and took the time and effort to rep the podcast. And what is, I think now Oracle Park has kind of become a historical park because it's had enough time and people love it. So uh, I can't thank that listener enough. And though it's been a rough stretch this week, that put a nice smile on my face uh, to round out before the All-Star break. It's awesome. Uh, We say it all the time, but we mean it. We appreciate all the support. Everyone listening, downloading, subscribing, rating, reviewing, buying the t-shirts, etc. This has been a ton of fun to do this so far this season, and we look forward to a successful post-All-Star break portion of the season. But you just referenced it, Tim. This pre-All-Star break portion of the national season does not end up ending too well. The Nats end up losing four consecutive games and 9 of 11 going into the All-Star break. A three-game sweep at the Major League-leading San Francisco Giants is completed on Sunday with a 3-1 loss. Now, also on Sunday, you did have the National League East-leading Mets losing at home to Pittsburgh 6-5. Phillies winning at Boston, like we said, 5-4. Atlanta losing at Miami 7-4. The big item with the Braves, by the way, though, is that Ronald Acuna Jr. is done for the season. A complete tear of his right ACL suffered on Saturday. So the Nats at the break are 42-47, and five games below 500, fourth in the division, six games behind the division-leading Mets, and the Nats have the worst run differential in the NL East at minus 15. This has been such a bizarre Nats season for so many different reasons, but if you just look at the outcomes of games, the Nats started this thing 26-35, and then went on that tear, winning 14-17, of but now go into the break, as mentioned, having lost 9-11. of Here's the question, and I don't know that there's a right answer at this point. Are the Nats good? Is this a good team? Well, this version we saw this weekend is not good. I think a healthy Schwarber mixed with a healthy Turner mixed with Juan Soto, who I was stunned by this, Al. You follow the stats more than me. Third place in terms of on-base percentage across all MLB, which is very surprising. I haven't watched him every day. You mix that with a healthy Scherzer and a healthy Strasburg and a pitching staff that decent Fetty and a decent Ross. I think they are good. But the version we saw this weekend, a tired bullpen, no Schwarber, no deep starts from their staff. This is as bad as, as we have seen, but it was just a week and a half ago that they swept Tampa and Turner hit for the cycle. So things change on a dime. To answer your question, I do think they're good, but not this past version we saw in California. Yeah, and I think we have to certainly note that, that this is not the fully-fledged version of the 2021 Nationals with all of the injuries. And yes, some guys have come back, but also some more guys have gone on the IL here recently, You know, most notably Jan Gomes over these last few days. So you have to take that into account. Kyle Schwarber out, Jan Gomes out, Steven Strasburg out for so much of this season, etc. And I think that's the hope, is that, look, it wasn't that long ago. Heck, it was, what, two weeks ago that the Nats were surging And you think about when these guys come back, if these guys come back, and what they're able to do. There is a path by which the Nationals surge in the post-All-Star break portion of the season. So, you know, the season is by no means lost or anything like that. But it has been a herky-jerky year. And there are times when you look at this Nats team and you love what you see. And there are times that you look at this Nats team and you're like, my goodness, you know, is this team ever going to win another game? Like, it just it can feel that way at times. And this series that the Giants was a rough one. 
The offense was reminiscent of what we saw before that surge, you know, where the Nats just aren't scoring many runs, aren't putting a lot of guys on base, feeble at bats, that sort of a thing. I mean, the Giants have been the best team in the majors so far this year. The Giants pitch exceptionally well. We certainly saw that with Kevin Gaussman on Sunday. And we saw a good number of star Nats underwhelm in this series. It is true that Schwarber and Gomes are out, but Trey Turner is healthy. Trey Turner on Sunday, 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, ends up going just three for 13 with three singles and a walk in the series. Juan Soto did get on base a good bit on Sunday. That is true. Uh, One for two with a single and a couple of walks. But Soto in the series, two for 10. Two for 10 with two singles, three walks, and uncharacteristically struck out five times. You mentioned the on-base. It is tremendous. A 407 on-base for Soto at the break. That's outstanding. But as we've noted many times, the power has just not been there so far this year. He's slugging 445. Josh Bell cooled off in this series. Two for 11 with two singles and two walks. Ryan Zimmerman. How about this, Tim? Ryan Zimmerman doesn't start a game in the series. He ends up not starting a game over the Nats' last seven games going into the break. And I get it. I mean, Josh Bell's been hot lately. But uh, man, Ryan Zimmerman on a milk carton here over the last week or so of this stretch. Yeah, and I did like the way Davey Martinez utilized him today. I will give him credit for that. He basically could have pinch hit for Barrera or for Robles when the Nats made a game of it in the seventh and he chose to bring him in for Barrera. And I agreed with that move, though it didn't work out. But yeah, Al, Zimmerman, if he's not going to start periodically and they're not going to bring him in for a defensive replacement, right now he's taking up a roster spot to just have one at bat a game, it feels like. And when we started this season, I thought he'd be coming in like we're relieving Bell in the eighth and ninth inning for the glove all the time. And that hasn't happened. I've been very surprised at how little he's been used. Yeah, I mean, he has plummeted as the season has gone on. He was so good for so long in terms of hitting for power. That's dried up. Josh Bell has been a lot better here lately. And Davey, I think rightfully so, is stuck with Josh Bell. So I don't have an issue with that. And I think what's so funny about the defensive replacement scenario you just laid out is Josh Bell defensively has actually been pretty good this year. He's not been the mess at first base that his past would have suggested that he would be this season. I give Josh Bell a lot of credit for that. And so Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is we're like barely seeing Ryan Zimmerman these days. And I think it's tough. Like when you're not playing and you're getting one plate appearance, say every two games, it's hard to get into a rhythm. It's hard to really do much with a role like that. So that's going to be interesting to follow after the break. What exactly we end up seeing in terms of playing time with Ryan Zimmerman, but underwhelming series offensively for the Nationals. You know, you mentioned Victor Robles. I mean, nobody's stunned by this at this point, but Robles 0 for 3 on Sunday. He strikes out on four pitches with runners at the corners and two outs in the top of the seventh. So here's your Victor Robles slash line at the break. I mean, this is really something else. A batting average of 209, an on-base percentage of 322. That That's not terrible. Well, it's not good, but it's not atrocious. But a slugging percentage of 305, that's atrocious. That this guy is in danger of slugging below 300 is an abomination. And uh, of the many things that you do want to see improve with the Nats after the break, I mean, you want to see Patrick Corbin improve. You want to see Steven Strasburg back. There are other things as well. But Victor Robles, as an everyday player, and he's been great defensively, and that's why he's out there basically every day, although he only started two of the three games in this series. But they have got to figure something out with him offensively. He's got to get going. I can't believe that he's this bad. Like, to me, there's too much talent with him for him to be slugging 305 on the season. And when he came up for the last out in the seventh to end the rally, you know, I got a text from a friend saying, why didn't they pinch hit for Robles? 
brutal managing. This is a Phillies friend. So, of course, a very aggressive text. And I said, well, it, he doesn't know all the moving parts, so I didn't blame him on this, but they'd already used Yadiel Hernandez. And you had to use yeah. Zimmerman instead of Barrera. So what are you going to do? Pinch hit Para, who's had a disastrous, nightmarish weekend, and especially you know, put the team in a bad spot with his glove the other night. You're going to go the final few innings in the spacious Oracle Park with Gerardo Para uh, in center field. So they're in a really tough spot where not only does he have to play, but you can't even pinch hit for him, and now he's an automatic out. So Robles is always going to be a glove first guy, but hitting you know 209 and 203 just above the Mendoza line, that's not going to cut it. He's got to bring up his average at least 30 points in the second half of the season. Yeah, I mean, you know, you think about this Nat season, and like I said, it's been so bizarre. One of the themes of the season has been guys struggling in like the worst of ways, but coming out of those struggles. Kyle Schwarber was a mess not that long ago, ended up having the month of his life. Josh Bell was horrendous in the month of April, has been quite good over the last few months now. Starling Castro was really bad for really long. He's flying right now. More on him coming up in just a bit. So you see yourself, all right, well, if those guys could figure it out, why not Robles? But of course, with those guys, there are track records. With Robles, there really isn't. I mean, very early in his career, he wasn't a mess offensively, but he's still trying to figure out himself as a batter at the major league level. And he's getting worse, not better. So, you know, I hope like heck he's able to at least get to a point where he can just be like, you know, league average, let's say. But right now he's well below league average. I mean, he is an automatic out. And if not for his supreme defense in center field, there's no way he'd be playing with any kind of frequency. But I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a credit to his glove that he's out there game in, game out, essentially. But man, that is a spot in the lineup that is killing the Nationals uh, and has really hurt them so far this season. Nat Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. And now the pitch. Swing a ground ball, left side, backhanded by Crawford of the hole. Long off-balance throw. Stretched by Wade. Not in time. What a play by Castro. What a stretch by Lamont Wade Jr. at first to his right out toward right field to hold it in on a hop. And the safe call by first base umpire Dan Bellino. So Castro immediately extends his hitting streak to 14 games in a row. I mentioned Castro. I do want to highlight this. This guy had another really good series. I mean, Starling Castro was in a real rut for so much of this season, but Castro in this series ends up going six for 10 with a double five singles and a walk. On Sunday, three for four 
with a double and two singles. Now, he did get picked off, and yet another bad moment for a Nationals player on the base paths in this pre-All-Star break portion of the season. Top of the second, leadoff single, then gets picked off at first for the third out. And a throw to first again, and this time he's out. Gosman has his first pickoff of the year in the third of his career. Picks Castro off first base. Well, he almost picked him off two other times. Castro's not trying to steal. Why is he getting so big a lead? But for Starling Castro now, you're looking at him having raised his OPS for the season by 100 points since the start of games on June 8th. His OPS was at 608. He goes into the break with an OPS at 708. That's some job by Castro to do that. So that's encouraging. And again, it's, it's another one of these Nats who at times it looked lost, but has also been a lot better. And Castro certainly has been appreciably better here lately. I mean, first praise him and then sharply criticize him for a moment from today. Start with the praise. Castro enters the break hitting 283, and he's had multiple hitting streaks over 10 games, and he clearly has been a different player ever since returning from the restricted list. So I think, not to get too into his business, but it seemed like that one or two days off were really important for him from a mental standpoint to take care of whatever he needed to do. So I think he's done an admirable job in a role he shouldn't be doing. He shouldn't be playing third base every single day and in the lineup every single day at this point in his career. But he's put in that spot, and I think he's done overall well, though the defense at times can be frustrating. Now the criticism. What was he doing, Allen, getting picked off? His lead was so wide. You're not Trey Turner. He wasn't going to steal. Gosman kept going over there. What was the point? So he could get a few extra feet if there's a double in the gap? Like I didn't understand that at all especially with two outs when you're moving on contact. It was just to me a microcosm of how this team has been so dumb at times on the bases and given away so many outs just unnecessarily. Been some really bad base running moments this season. The numbers back it up. We've seen guys thrown out at home by a mile. We've seen guys get caught trying to steal more often than should be the case. We've seen guys get picked off. You know, it feels like that's been kind of a thing lately. It was like a, a few weeks ago that Trey Turner had a, had a few pickoffs. We've seen Juan Soto get picked off. We've seen Starling Castro get picked off. It's too much of this. The Nats make too many outs on the base pass. And it's one thing when you're hitting two, three, four home runs a game. That is dried up. That's not happening. And, you know, this Nats lineup, I don't think you can count on that. They cannot keep doing this. This is something that's got to get cleaned up. This has been a problem in seasons past. This isn't new. If you're a Nats fan, you've heard this complaint many times over the years. The Nats making too many outs on the base pass. And you know, in a game in which you score one run, something like Castro getting picked off sticks with you. You know, if you score eight runs, nobody's really remembering or even talking about this. But because the Nats only score the one run, that is something that stands out. But yeah, Castro has been much better as a hitter here lately. And uh, do want to reference that. That is a good thing for the Nationals going into the All-Star break. Now, another bad thing for the Nats going into the All-Star break is the starting pitching. The Nats are supposed to be a starting pitching dependent team. The Nats are supposed to be a team for which the starting pitching leads the way. Well, the starting pitching has been leading the Nats down the tubes here over the last few weeks. Starters aren't lasting long. Starters aren't being particularly effective. And in this three-game series at the Giants, again, you're facing a team in San Francisco that pitches really well. And for the Nationals in this series, you had Paolo Espino in a 5-3 loss on Friday night, three runs in three and two-thirds innings. You had John Lester in the 10-4 loss on Saturday, eight runs, three earned in two and two-thirds innings. And then we had Eric Fetty in this 3-1 loss on Sunday, three runs in five innings. He gave up eight hits, a homer, a double, and six singles. He issued three walks, one of which was intentional. He did have seven strikeouts. That was good. But to me, this was Fetty kind of being the Fetty we saw before he started doing well this season. This reminded me of the Eric Fetty before 2021. 
you know, it started off in a troubling way, I thought. It was a scoreless bottom of the first for Fetty, but it was a scoreless bottom of the first despite him issuing a leadoff six-pitch walk to Lamont Wade, followed by giving up a single to Mike Dostremski. If not for Alex Dickerson lining into an inning-ending double play, that inning very likely ends up playing out very differently. Then Fetty gave up three runs, bottom of the second, leadoff first pitch single by Brandon Crawford, one out single by Steven Duggar, one out three-run homer by Kurt Casale, who was all over the place in this series. And then after the Casale homer, Fetty issues a one-out seven-pitch walk of the Giants starting pitcher Kevin Gaussman. What are you doing doing that? Then gives up a two-out single to Mike Zestremski. Fetty tosses scoreless bottom of the third despite giving up a leadoff double to Alex Dickerson, followed by a single by Brandon Crawford on a one-two pitch. That final line of three runs in five innings could have been much worse. We've been very praiseful of Fetty this season. I think rightfully so. I think he's done a good job for uh, significant stretches of this season. But these two starts since he's come off the 10-day injured list have not been overly impressive. And whereas I actually thought in his last outing, he maybe pitched better than the final line suggested. I actually thought Fetty pitched worse than the final line suggested on Sunday. I'm with you, Al. And we've been cheerleading a lot for Eric Fetty on this podcast so far, uh, the first half, and he's deserved a lot of it. But this week, he looked like a fifth starter, which is what he's been, you know, fifth or sixth starter his entire career. And he did a Houdini act in the first inning with help from LC's Escobar. And then his defense let him down, including Escobar. But based upon the way the Nats lineup has been playing, that three-run homer, I mean, you could have ended the game right there in the second inning. You knew 3 nothing. that was that. kind of felt like a game in May for the Nats. I didn't think he had sharp stuff at all, and the Nationals really needed a good start out of him today. You know, I really have no idea what kind of Eric Fetty we're going to see in the second half. Does he move to the front of the rotation? Does he get the start against San Diego, or does he get pushed to the back of the pack and not start till Miami next week? I really have no idea. And, you know, you mentioned herky-jerky earlier. It's almost like Eric Fetty is the exact representation of what this season's been for the Nats this year. Yeah, and you could almost say like the rotation has been the microcosm for the Nats season too, in that after Scherzer, and you know, even with Max now after his last outing, you don't know what to think. I'm, I'm kidding. I mean, Max having a great year, but after Scherzer, there's zero certainty in this rotation. And you can certainly scheme it up and say, well, this rotation is not bad. And yeah, like there certainly are reasons to say that, but Corbin is far from a certainty. Lester is the furthest thing from a certainty. He's a certainty in the other way. He's like a certainty to, to be bad these days. Joe Ross is not a certainty. Eric Fetty's not a certainty. So you don't know, start in, start out, with the exception of Scherzer, what you're getting from these guys. And sometimes they are good. Like, it's not like they're always all bad. But it's, again, if you're going to be a starting pitching dependent team, like that's been the thing for years with the Nats, it can't be like this. You've got to have at least two or three guys who every start you know are going to be at least pretty good. And you don't have that with this rotation so far this year. The disappointment to me really has been Corbin. I don't think enough of a big deal is made out of this. Six-year, $140 million contract. He's got an ERA over five. And at this point, people just kind of accept this. And I'm just like, it's not supposed to be this way, especially with the Nats getting next to nothing out of Steven Strasburg this season. The Nats needed Corbin this year to step up, and he stepped down this year. And I think that's a big storyline for after the All-Star break. Can Corbin right the ship? Can Corbin get on track? Because to me, he's better than this. He's not a 5 ERA pitcher. I mean, we all saw what he did in 2019. So the pitching's got to be better. The pitching certainly has to last longer. I will salute the bullpen. The bullpen, again, was leaned on too much in this series. I thought overall, though, did a pretty admirable job. Go game in, game out. Four relievers in the 5-3 loss on Friday night. Two runs, four into third innings. Okay, I mean, that's not great, but that's not a debacle. 
The Nats in the 10-4 loss on Saturday, three relievers, two runs in five and a third innings. And then on this game on Sunday, you got some good bullpen work. Austin Vogt, Daniel Hudson, Kyle Finnegan, those the guys combining for three scoreless innings. You had a perfect bottom of the seventh from Hudson, who I thought looked really good. And then Finnegan, three strikeouts and a perfect bottom of the eighth. So that was nice to see. Although with the bullpen, you did have another reliever being placed on the 10-day injured list on Sunday. This may have snuck by some people, but the Nats on Sunday put Kyle McGowan on the 10-day IL with right biceps fatigue, recalled Andres Machado from AAA Rochester. McGowan in the 10-4 loss on Saturday, giving up a run in two-thirds of an inning. He didn't look right, and it turns out now he's back in terms of a reliever being on the IL with right biceps fatigue. So, The hits keep on coming, Tim. I mean, Jan Gomes on the IL in this series, McGowan on the IL in this series. I want to get your take on this because I was thinking about this. So Brad Hand ended up not pitching at all in this series. In a series in which the Nats are facing the best team in baseball, the Nats' best reliever doesn't throw a single pitch. Now, if you go through the games, it's not like there was an instant screaming for Brad Hand to be in the game. But I do wonder about something like that. Like, if I'm Davey Martinez, are you not saying to yourself at the end of this thing, hmm, we just got swept at the Giants. They're the best team in baseball. Our starting pitching wasn't very good in this series. And I not once brought into the game my best reliever. Something's wrong with that, isn't it? It is. But I don't know where in this series specifically you would have put him in, which you said. Uh, I really can't find a spot. There was no spot today because also Finnegan and Hudson held it down. Saturday, the game was over in five minutes. And Friday night, I guess there maybe I don't remember all the particulars from Friday night, but I don't know what the spot was. But let me do some griping on hand for a second because I do have a complaint. I have two complaints about hand as it relates to this 11-game stretch against the NL West. One, the obvious one, he should have pitched the ninth inning on Thursday night. Davey Martinez pulled a book, Showalter, and didn't use his right guy in the ninth inning. But I'm still a little aggravated about him not pitching Brad Hand in the fifth in the rain-shortened game on Thursday night against the Dodgers when the groundskeeper was out explaining to the home plate umpire before the inning that rain was coming and they had the lead, and he pitched Corbin. It was very clear that there might only be one inning left. I know I'm talking about a game from 10 days ago, but that, to me, is stuck in my crawl this whole time. It's ancient history at this point, but that's kind of where I stand with Brad Hand in this recent stretch. You know, what you said about the Giants series, I think, is fair. Like, there's not an obvious moment, and I mentioned that, like, where, like, you say, Davey, how do you not bring in Brad Hand there? Like, to me, the obvious moment in that game on Thursday night was not Sam Clay, it was Brad Hand. Like, that's where Davey should have deployed Hand. You didn't have a moment like that in this series. So I'm, I'm not trying to crush Davey for this, but I just think philosophically it's something to think about if you're Davey. Like, hopefully, the manager always debriefs himself and his staff when it comes to the strategy that was just engineered in the just concluded series. And you say, okay, what did we do right? What could we have maybe done better? And I just think that's something to think about. Of Again, you just got swept at the Giants. They're the best team in baseball. Your starting pitching was a mess in this series. And not once did you fire the bullet that is Brad Hand. I think it's just something to think about here. But the bullpen really wasn't the biggest problem in this series. The lack of length from starters was the issue. And the offense was the issue. The Nats just did not hit in this series. Treat the whole family to a fun night of baseball with the Bethesda Big Train at Shirley Povich Field. Big Train Baseball is the perfect mix of small-town charm and big-league talent right here in Bethesda's Cabin John Regional Park. Visit BigTrain.org forward slash tickets to reserve your seats for tonight's game and all other home games throughout July. (laughs) 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. And so now the Nats go into the All-Star break. And, you know, I think it's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. Juan Soto in the Home Run Derby on Monday night facing off with Shohei Otani. We'll have Soto, Trey Turner, and Max Scherzer on display in the actual All-Star game on Tuesday night. And maybe just maybe Max ends up starting. We noted this on the last installment of the podcast, but it is funny. I mean, here you have the Nats now five games below 500, and the team has four All-Stars, including three who figure to be playing on Tuesday night, including maybe the starting pitcher. So it is strange. Again, it goes right in line with the oddity that has been this Nats season so far. Soto might be the star of the show on Monday night. Scherzer's probably going to start now on Tuesday. Went from not being on the roster to starting the game. So there's going to be a lot of prominent nationals out there. Oh, by the way, did you see this, Al, that none of the Astros are going to show up to Denver? Did you catch that? No. None of them. Altuve backed out. I forget all else. But to me, that is the ultimate wimp move. That's a first place team. You're going to get booed. Whatever. Take it. Take the jokes. Take the garbage can jokes. But that really bothered me when I saw that. So they're not showing up just because they're afraid of being booed? Well, I'm sure they're doing, you know, the usual, I want to spend time with my family. But that, to me, is what I thought. I mean, how does none of them show up? That's bad for baseball. We're having fun here. No one was really hurt in the process. It was just a bunch of garbage cans. Show up and get booed by the Denver crowd. That's interesting. I did see this while watching Nats Giants on Sunday. So the Astros walked off the Yankees 8-7. Houston scoring six runs in the bottom of the ninth. Jose Altuve, a walk-off three-run homer, and then, and I have to give him credit, this is funny, okay? I hate the Astros. I can't stand Altuve, but this is funny. He took his shirt off. Love it. He took his shirt off to show the tattoo and show that he didn't have a buzzer on. I will give him credit for that. That was funny, okay? You can despise a team and a player, but still find humor in something they do. That was actually a pretty good move, I thought, by Altuve. I tell you, Dusty Baker and the Astros are slaying it here. You got to give the Devils their due. The Astros at the break, 55-36 and with a run differential of plus 136, best in the American League. That is spectacular what the Astros are doing here at the break. Well, you tell us what you think when it comes to the Nationals. It's been a wild ride here so far. 
There's a lot to come, though, with this team in the post-All-Star break portion of the season. Let us know what you think. Answer the question that is a simple question, I think, with a very complicated answer. Are the Nats good? Is this a good baseball team? You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email us, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Tim, if you're Mike Rizzo, if you're Davey Martinez, what do you think most needs to change or improve for the Nats after the All-Star break? What's like the one thing, either a player or just a, a facet of the team, that has to be better moving forward the rest of the season? The rotation. The rotation this past week has been you know, non-playoff competitive, and I don't think that that necessarily means moves, but uh, he's got to figure out what sort of rotation he's got for the final two months. And we said yesterday, Strasburg's the X factor. He's got to figure out what he's got in Fetty and Ross and what's up with Lester if he's ever going to make another start for the Nationals and where does Espino fit in and does Espino now become a flex guy. That, to me, is where it's got to start. In terms of adding a bat, if you can get a third baseman without giving up an elite prospect, great. I would love Eduardo Escobar, but a lot of other teams are going to be interested in him as well. And bullpen-wise, Al, I don't think that they really need to make a move. I think Finnegan's reliable. So they have three bullpen arms, which is one more than they had two years ago when they only had two reliable bullpen arms. So... His inventory has to start with starting pitching. Where do you stand? I'm with you, and I would narrow it down to two guys, Steven Strasburg and Patrick Corbin. Two guys with mega money deals. Strasburg in the first half of the season, a war per baseball reference going into games on Sunday of minus 0.2. That's more about injury than it is about performance, but still a negative war. And Corbin, pre-All-Star break portion of the season, a war per baseball reference of minus 0.9. You got Strasburg, on a contract well over $200 million. You got Corbin on a contract well over $100 million. And those two guys, before the All-Star break here, have combined for minus 1.1 wins above replacement. That's inexcusable. If just those two guys are healthy and pitching as we know they can pitch, the Nats, to me, are in first place. Like, for all of the other Nationals' problems slash flaws slash concerns, I really think you can boil it down to those two guys. Now, again, with Strasburg, it's about health. He just has to get healthy. And We'll see if and when that happens this season. With Corbin, it's about figuring out what has happened to him over the last two seasons and getting him on track. But I think if the Nats can just get those two guys where they need to be, I think everything changes. I think everything improves because everyone is flawed in this National League East. This is not an overwhelming division, especially now with this Acuna injury for the Braves. I mean, Tim, this division is there for the taking, even with the Mets you know, fairly comfortably in first place. The Mets do not scare me, okay? And the Mets are a Jacob deGrom injury away from completely collapsing, as we have seen the Mets do many times over the years. So if the Nats can just stay afloat, stay in the fight, as Davey says, and get some of these horses back, you know, get the cavalry back. Again, Strasburg, Corbin, can you fix him? Schwarber's coming back at some point. There is a path by which the Nats make the postseason here, but These things, at least some of them, that did not go well in the first half of the season have got to be better in the second half. The Nats, as currently constituted, aren't going to make the postseason. The Nats, with a few tweaks, yes, I think can very much be a playoff contender. So I'm right there with you on everything you just said. And and to add to that, the Mets have no offense right now. The Phillies' bullpen's a nightmare. And Acuna and Ozuna are both out for the year for Atlanta. I have a question to you specifically as it relates to Ronald Acuna Jr. that I was wondering about. I don't know if you saw yesterday when the news came out, really after we taped, that he had torn his ACL and he was out for the year. 
on Nat's Twitter, it was a lot of, oh, man, I'm going to miss him. I root against him, but wish him well. You know, a lot of friendly rivalry type stuff. And baseball fans usually don't like seeing stars get injured. I got to ask you, what was the Washington football Twitter response when, like, Dak Prescott got injured for the year? It was, we wish him well. It was a lot of that stuff. Especially because Dak, you know, his injury was somewhat similar to Alex Smith's. Wasn't as gruesome, but there were some parallels. So, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like pointing and laughing or anything like that, if that's what you're talking about. That's the thing with the Acuna injury. Like, nobody wants to see anyone get hurt like that. But let's be honest here, okay? Because we are nothing if not honest on the Chat podcast, brutally honest at times. That is a break for the Nationals, okay? That is good news for the Nationals from a baseball standpoint. That's bad news from a, a standpoint of, you know, humanity, okay? We're not wanting for people to suffer physically. But if you're a Nationals fan, okay, don't be a liar, okay? Admit that this is good news for the Nationals from a baseball perspective. Now, let's see. We see teams all the time deal with injuries and overcome injuries and do well. So I don't think that this necessarily means the Braves are complete non-factors. But come on. I mean, Acuna is maybe the single best player in the division, maybe in the National League. So yeah, that's a huge blow to the Braves. And you combine that with the Soroka scenario too, like, Braves have got some issues here moving forward. Big time. Yeah, the pitching's a real issue. And uh, one note, they finished the first half under 500, and they had that 0-4 start to start the year, and the fourth loss was the Nats opening day loss. The Braves have never been above 500 this year. I didn't realize that. That's, that's a good nugget. Well, uh, the MLB draft is beginning on Sunday evening. The Nationals have the 11th overall pick. It is their highest first-round pick since taking Anthony Rendon in 2011 with the number six overall selection. So it's been a while since the Nats picked that high. We're taping this installment of the Nats Chat podcast prior to the Nats making their selection. But we did want to note this. The Nationals' first round pick from the 2020 MLB draft was on display big time on Sunday. It was not a good weekend for the Nationals, at least at the major league level. But for the Nationals, when it comes to their top minor league player, Cade Cavalli, was on display at the 2021 MLB All-Star Futures game at Coors Field in Denver. All you need know is this. He was throwing bullets in this game. Cavalli, by the way, just left all the secondary stuff uh, in the bullpen. He's just coming full heater. Well, this is fun for him. Hey, there's some secondary stuff. (laughs) Talk about nasty. Fish for that. I mean, that's that's not fair. He threw 99 and 100 over and over to Jeter Downs. I'm like, oh, here's my slider. Forget it. Cade Cavalli at one point in the All-Star Futures game had thrown the 15 fastest pitches in the game. The pitches ranged between 98.7 miles per hour and 100.4 miles per hour. It's not like Cade Cavalli needed more hype. But there you go. More reason to hype him, more reason to anticipate his inevitable Major League debut, which more and more I think is going to happen in 2021 as opposed to in 2022. But whenever it ends up happening, this is such a great development for the Nationals over the last few months. The farm system overall is not in good shape, but within a farm system that's not in good shape is one of the premier pitching prospects in the sport in Cade Cavalli, who in one year's time has ascended to near phenom status, Tim. This is really exciting what this guy could end up being. Yeah, he was pumping straight gas uh, in Denver in the Futures game. He looks super impressive. He also, I know Moneyball made fun of this in the opening scene, but he looks like a stud. He- <laughs> and now we've been gutted. 
organ donors for the rich. Boston's taking our kidneys. Yankees taking our heart. And you guys are sitting around talking the same old good body nonsense like we're selling jeans, like we're looking for Fabio. He looked great out there, and uh, listening to the national broadcasters, they were very impressed by him, and they had done their homework on Cavalli. And I should really add him to that addendum earlier where you asked me about what Rizzo should take inventory of because there might be a world, as you said, where Cavalli is added to the rotation for a stretch run. Did you watch any of the Futures game, though? No, I did not. Most people didn't. I watched his inning, and there was barely anyone there and it's not a made-for-TV game because it still moves very slowly, and it's a bunch of names you haven't really heard of. I think baseball might need to find something different to open up All-Star Week on a Sunday. Uh, I know they used to do the, uh, the old-timers game, and I'm not sure what, what it is, but this Futures game, it's kind of a little bit of a dud. Do you like that they added the draft to the weekend? I think that's cool. Uh, let's see how that works out. But the Futures game, to me, uh, might be time to say goodbye to it. Well, baseball, again, is competing with itself. This is one thing about the baseball season I don't like is when you do say the Hall of Fame inductions on a Sunday afternoon in August while you have major league games going on. And so like nobody ends up watching the Hall of Fame inductions. MLB to me has got to figure out ways to showcase these things. You would never in a million years see the NFL do the NFL draft head to head on a day on which there are NFL games. Okay, (laughs) the NFL spreads things out. Now, I get it. It's It's a 17 game season now versus 162 games. But figure out a way, like to me, the MLB draft should be done, say, on uh, Wednesday. Now, it's a multi-day thing, but how about starting it on Wednesday, the day after the All-Star game? So Wednesday is MLB draft day. For goodness sake, don't do the Hall of Fame inductions while games are going on. Like, figure out a time to do that. I would even be okay with extending the All-Star break to work some of these things into the mix. So maybe you do Home Run Derby Monday night, All-Star Game Tuesday night, Draft Wednesday, Hall of Fame inductions Thursday. I mean, I don't know. There are ways you can figure this out, but you've got to spotlight yourself. You, 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 you shouldn't be competing against yourself. And to what you just said about the Futures game, you're competing against yourself, putting that head-to-head with Major League games. Now, I don't think the Futures game is as big of a deal as the Draft or the Hall of Fame inductions, but you know what? The Futures game is valuable in that it showcases the stars of, wait for it, the future. And MLB needs all the help it can get when it comes to building up future stars. So I totally think that's something to be looked at here. I don't understand. MLB does this. Look, the schedule release, the <laughs> NFL's schedule release is like a festival. MLB releases its schedule in the middle of a day in like September each year. You never know when it's happening. Nobody cares when it happens. It's like, how about a little pomp and circumstance? How about a little buildup and, and a little pizzazz to trumpet yourself a little bit here. MLB almost acts like it's ashamed of itself half the time, and uh, I've never understood that. Al, let's just say that I legitimately have notes in my phone for the day I did I get five minutes with Rob Manfred. <laughs> you know, no more releasing the schedule on a football Monday in September uh, when people are talking about Cowboys-Eagles. It is moronic. I don't under... Th- these are simple things that baseball can fix and for whatever reason has not fixed. Well, when we run the world, we'll be able to implement these changes. For now, all we can do is yell and scream about them on the Nat Chat podcast. Again, you tell us what you think. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already subscribe to the podcast, please consider subscribing to the podcast. That costs you nothing. Uh, And if you have like 30 seconds, please give the podcast a five-star rating and just write like a one-sentence review saying how much you like the podcast. Doing those things helps us out a lot. Always know you can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to Nats Chat Podcast. 
natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. On the next installment of the Nats Chat Podcast, which will follow the first game for the Nationals after the All-Star break, so that would be this coming Friday night's Game 1 against the Padres, we'll be giving you our top moments from the season so far. So Mark, who will be back, and I will take you through the top moments of the national season so far. Looking forward to that, in addition to discussing whatever goes down between the Nats and the Pods this coming Friday night. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Tim Shovers, I'm Al Galdi. Enjoy the All-Star Game. Go Juan Soto and the Home Run Derby. And we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. With the 11th pick of the 2021 MLB Draft, the Washington Nationals select Brady House, a shortstop from Winderborough High School in Winder, Georgia. The Seattle Mariners have the next pick. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.